This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Was the 1980s the best decade for MTV? Ladies and gentlemen, podcasting. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. My name is Will, and joining me as always is my friend and my co-host, Ray. How is your day going so far? (laughs) You only ask because we spent, I don't know, half hour figuring out how to get the podcast sounding good again, I guess so. So challenging. No, I was actually asking because I know you went to breakfast. Oh, that's true. Yeah, breakfast was great. I had my usual two breakfasts, which is one with proteins, you know, Mm -hmm. like an egg, and my dessert breakfast, which is, today was a uh, banana praline uh, waffle. Oh, fantastic. So good. And how was your breakfast that I see you having right now? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) How many ounces of breakfast have Uh, you I'm having 12 ounces of barley soup for breakfast. Okay, yes, exactly, yes. It's all his fiber and everything he needs in there. So today we're going to be talking, today's a very exciting episode because we're going to be talking about MTV, something that was very influential for us as our youth. And a little bit later, we'll be speaking with an actual MTV VJ, Miss Nina Blackwood. Yay. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, so thrilled and excited and, uh, you know, and so as a little bit of a teaser too, we've got a lot of cool episodes coming up, you know, and um, I, I'm bad at keeping secrets. So I'm just, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, shush. I know. Shush so far you. I'm keeping everything, you know, and, and I guess we could report this at least. John Schneider, yes. for anybody wondering, he's still going to be on the show. We're just working out schedules and we've got some other folks too lined up and I'm, again, <laughs> not going to say anything. Okay. We'll just wait, right? Okay. Before we do anything else, please remember to like and subscribe and review and rate. And, and was, comment. And comment. I don't remember the rhyme. I know I have it recorded, but what was there? <laughs> don't procrastinate. Like, share, subscribe, comment, review, and rate. Very good. <laughs> That'll be in your head now, right, as the jingles go. Okay, so enough of all that. Let's get caught up with some 80s news. Hey, you know, because we were talking before the show, there's too much 80s news. We need another podcast for yeah, it. Yeah, we do. Um, that you were going to call, what's our other podcast? Uh, the Other Stuff the, Podcast. <laughs> the Other Stuff. So anything we don't get to in this show, we need a whole other show. Yeah. And it's true. And especially, I mean, 80s news, there's too much. So so we just handpicked a few for today, and hopefully some of these won't be so stale that we can't talk about them next time. In any case, we have got confirmation from Mr. Harrison Ford himself that in two months from now, Indiana Jones 5 begins filming. Yay. I'm super pumped. Are you super pumped? I am super pumped. Uh, I've told you, man, I'm a big fan of part four now. Yeah, but now, but I mean, when you first saw it, you didn't like it, right? Yeah, I was angry the first time I saw it. I've said this before on the show. And then I waited a couple, a year or two or whatever it was, and my son wanted to watch it with me because we'd seen the other three. Yeah. Love it now. Fits right in. You know, because of your uh, what you said, just a couple of weeks ago, I started watching Crystal Skull, because I think it's on, they're all on Netflix now, oh, of which course. is really awesome. And I can't remember how far I got. I think, oh, I think he was in the refrigerator. He got into the refrigerator. He was ejected from the refrigerator after the nuclear yeah, blast yeah, goes yeah. off. And I was like, what am I watching? This is bad. He, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that for you. Yeah. Uh, you remember the part where they go in the cave and there's a ghost that tells them <laughs> to pick the chalice? Yes. It's the same thing. That is not the Let same it go. thing. 
There's a ghost, dude. I know, but... There's it, a ghost with a ch- to telling you to pick the right... Oh, you've chosen yeah. wisely. I guess I think the difference for me is, you know, that was part of the mystical, sort of magical journey that Indiana yeah. Jones goes on. This was a... Uh, for a lot of reasons. Oh, mm-hmm. I, and also, that was practically done for the most part, you know? Yeah. I think when the guy when the guy ages, there's some sort of animation done or you know some kind of CG that's done there. Yeah. But there was really an old guy, and in, in, in any case, in this movie, there's so much digital stuff that's clearly digital stuff. And then this idea, it wasn't very magical or mystical to have him climb in a refrigerator. That just seemed like a real. I don't know. You got to get by that part. But okay, there's that's lo- the part that made me angry. Yeah, that is the one part that made me angry. Yeah. But once you get past it, just move on and enjoy the movie. Super good. I hope this movie, they really shoot it on location. The first couple movies, the first, what, three movies, mostly shot in different locations or sets that were very convincing. That fourth movie... <laughs> well, I don't know how that's going to work out because have you heard what Harrison Ford said about the Call of the Wild? No. That dog's digital in that movie. No way. Yep. He I, said that dog, when he's got the harmonica in the, in the one scene... Yeah. The dog follows him, hands him the harmonic. He goes, there's no dog in that scene. I just turn around and pretend like there's a dog there. It's all digital. No kidding. No, I didn't know that. Yep. Um, hmm. Yeah, I've only seen the trailers for that. I'm not interested in that movie at all. Um, It's Harrison Ford, so I'm going to see it. Yeah, I don't know. And hey, I, I saw uh, Crystal Skull at midnight when <laughs> yeah, it opened. There you go. I probably won't be at midnight for if, number five. But um, So w- what happens to Shia LaBeouf's character? Thank- Thankfully, I think he just goes back to college or something, so... Is that how they write it off? He went back I would to college. Hope so, now I heard some people suggesting, and I think this is great. Can we get a short round back? Now he's older. I have been screaming for short round. Yeah. For the last one, instead of right. shy, I would have gave him his own movies back yeah. in the day. Right. I would have had the Adventures of Short Round going on years ago. Yeah. Makes no sense why this never happened. Well, yeah, and I heard some some folks suggesting. Um, that it would be a more organic way to have a uh, successor to Indiana Jones because Short Round would be younger. You yep. know, I don't know how much younger. He'd be a good 30 years younger, at least probably, than Indiana Jones is. So Harrison Ford and Spielberg have always said there's never going to be another Indiana Jones, not like Bond. Right. You know, that's why we didn't get our Chris Pratt Indiana Jones, which would have been cool, um, I think. But um, Short Round, he's part of the universe already, so that would be perfect. Yeah, I, I don't know how they can't get this done because he would be amazing. Yeah. And like I said before, it would be great if he was like a, a guide for the, a new guy, but he was doing all the um, solving the riddles and everything, and just this guy became super famous, but Short Round's doing all the work. Yeah. And they would just call it the Adventures of Short Round. Yeah. So. Well, I'm for that. Maybe, hey, maybe maybe that'll be this. Uh, in other news, um, so have you heard this? Fox order, I'm reading this right out of Variety here. Fox orders drama pilot around Goonies reenactment from Bold Type Creator. So Bold Type's the production company. But the, the, the Fox has ordered a TV series around this idea that kids are going to reenact shot for shot the Goonies movie. Boo. Right? <laughs> I am not interested in this at all. This is not something that I don't think fans wanted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who asked for this? Yeah, we want to. We would take a Goonies sequel, you know, like you've talked yeah. about before. I think with the adults going yeah. on another adventure. But this says that. So the summary of this is: Stella Cooper returns to her distressed automotive town to substitute teach after failing to make it in New York and carrying a heavy secret. She finds inspiration, hope, and ultimately salvation when she agrees to help three students who are pursuing their filmmaking dreams by putting on an impossibly ambitious shot-for-shot remake of Goonies. It makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, and this reminds me of, do you remember those guys who really did a, as kids, they really did a shot-for-shot uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? 
And I think they ultimately made a documentary about those guys. Yeah. So I feel like maybe they couldn't get the rights to that story, so they got another Spielberg property or something. It, it just seems like it's going to be bad. Yeah. But, you know, what are you going to do? They're out of ideas. Yeah, I, I, uh, and I agree with you. Uh, who asked for this? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> All right, enough of that. So in, in, in final 80s news, I thought this was really right in our, you know, uh, wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm reading this from a website called N-World. I'm sure you can find this everywhere, but we found it on nworld.com. It, DC Universe All-Star Games is a new RPG show featuring Freddie Prinze Jr. and Sam Witwer. Sam Witwer is an actor who voice acts and also digitally acts for a number of different video games. Uh, and a number of other, other uh, current celebrities are going to be doing this DC Universe RPG. And you're probably wondering, why am I breaking this up? Well, here is how the uh, adventure is described. Set in the same 80s era as when the game was first published, the five participants roleplay as a group of high schoolers stuck in Saturday detention. As they improv their way through a variety of situations familiar to fans of beloved movies from that time period, they soon discover their destinies as the world's greatest superheroes. And this is called the Breakfast League. Hmm. So, I don't know. You know what I think of that? No. I think somebody saw that Critical Role was crushing it. Yeah. And they don't understand what a role-playing game is. (sighs) Yes. So they called it an RPG, but it's just uh, whose line is it anyways (laughs) with 80s crap. Uh, maybe, uh, uh, yeah. Is Drew Carey going to be involved? Mm, he's not listed here, no. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it is weird, because it sounds like the prequel to an adventure. Right. This is like if you never leave the bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know what? This is <laughs> this is the real-life role-playing game where you and your friends go to the bar, yeah. but there's no mysterious guy in the corner to take you no. on an adventure. You're going to role-play for <laughs> hours and find out the... Find out the heroes you you have meant to be, and then the game ends. Yep, and you just have to Uber home. That's the, so the last scene in this, unlike most RPGs, for folks who don't know, start off with somebody in the bar saying, I need a band of adventurers to go and, you know, whatever, slay the dragon. <laughs> yep. This is when this world ends. We finally made it to, I need a five adventurers. That's us. Game over. We've become the people we were meant to be. Nah. No, not watching it. Probably not. All right. And that was 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. Ack. So today we're going to be talking about MTV. We'll touch a little bit on the history, but we'll spend more time talking about the music videos, the ones we loved, ones that were controversial, ones that you told us were just flat out overplayed, uh, videos that were breakthrough, and so much more. Uh, I say we'll just touch upon the history because you could do no better than to find out the history of MTV from the VJs themselves. And I'm going to give you two ways to do that. One, you can read the book VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Wave. I highly recommend it. It's fun. It's fascinating. It's easy to read. It takes you back to a little bit before uh, the VJs actually get the auditions and then through the audition process, through the early days of the channel, and then through the salad days of music, television, and beyond. Uh, Fascinating stories you've probably never heard before. And then, the most exciting part of the show, just skip to it if you want. Uh, is listen- Don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some shows I listen to, they're like, time codes are in the bottom if you want to skip around. Does that mean they already know their show's bad? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so a little bit later on, we're going to be speaking with original MTV VJ, Nina Blackwood. Yes. So MTV, for folks who don't remember exactly when it debuted, it debuted midnight, August 1st, 1981, with the first video. Now, everybody knows this. Well, everybody knows the first video. 
what's the second video? I do know that too. <laughs> but uh, actually, do you know what the words were uh, that I, they said? I do, but I'll pretend the, like I don't. No, launch, what did they say? Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. rock and roll, yeah. which was spoken over the shuttle Columbia launch and the Apollo 11. Right. So that, right there, they had you. <laughs> Is that right? You got, yeah. your, you got your rock and roll. Yeah, they told you it's rock and roll. We're still love, in love with space, you yep. know, since the space race of the 1960s. You still got us there. Yep, they got us. Yeah, and then, of course, like we were teasing, a video killed the radio star by the Buggles is the first video. So, yeah, what was yeah. the second video? Uh, you better run, Pat Benatar. I, I knew that, and I just couldn't. There were hmm. so few videos available at the beginning that, um, you know, they had to play whatever they get their hands on because nobody knew about this enterprise that was going to come out and so people weren't <laughs> building videos. Yeah, they, videos. they actually told the VJs, keep your day job yeah. until we see if this is going to work. Right. If I'm not mistaken, um, I think New Jersey was the first place that this thing aired. Yeah, so that's, you know, yeah. When MTV first launched, you're right. It wasn't national. You expect any... The monster it is today, yeah. the phenomenon it is today, it's, it's worldwide. As you know, there's different... There's MTV Asia, MTV Europe, all these... MTV Latin America, whatever, all these different incarnations of MTV. But when it first launched, it wasn't even in a few states. It was in New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, I'll give you even a little bit more, I think, is that it was only in certain areas of New Jersey because... And I lived in one of the most urban, I think the second largest city in New Jersey. We didn't have it. People down in southern Jersey had it first, and they had cable first before the rest of us, too. But in New York City, where they filmed it, no one had MTV. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. And when we talk to Nina in a little bit, she tells a great story that uh, really drives that home. Hmm, that's weird. But um, I-, I won't spoil that, because yeah. you touch upon it during the interview. Yeah, don't spoil that. Yeah, no, spoil Why it. don't you instead tell me what your earliest yeah. favorite MTV video was? You know, I probably won't get it right chronologically. So I will just tell you a favorite, mm-hmm. and I don't know where it fits chronologically. But one of the earliest, one of my earliest favorite videos was The Cars You Might Think. I love that video. Yeah, love the, that song. It, my, <laughs> mine would be Photograph, Def Leppard. Okay. I just remember, I don't know how, it, once again, I don't know how that fits into the timeline of MTV, but yeah. I remember really liking that video. Yeah, I don't remember that video. Is there a photograph in it? There is. is, is There's a bunch of British guys. I was going to ask, are they in it too? Yeah, they're in it. Hmm. Is um, uh, Joe wearing a Union Jack sh- oh, sleeveless hell yeah. shirt? Of course he is. Oh my gosh. I, I, I had that shirt. I had to get it. Well, you have to have that shirt if you're yeah. you know, from the 80s. It's yeah. impossible to get around it. I got it at the boardwalk in South Jersey one summer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the cars you might think was in 84. I don't know when Photograph was. Yeah, when I sat down and started thinking about the videos... Yeah, uh, I started to make a list, and then I realized it would be eight hundred pages long. So I gave up on it because you know I was like, "Oh, I'm going to write down the songs I liked." Yeah, and then I started writing down the videos, and I was like, "Oh, we got the beat, centerfold, rock this town, Electric Avenue." Yeah, and freeze frame, hungry like the wolf, run to the hills, Iron Maiden. I'm just like, ah, th- this would take me all day. <laughs> Forget it. Pages. You're wasting so much paper. Yeah. You know, what I thought was interesting, we asked for feedback from folks, our, our, our listeners on uh, Facebook, to, che- to uh, chime in with what they thought were the most overplayed videos on MTV. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll just give you some of them here. Some of the most overplayed videos by some of our friends. Uh, Jeff Henson says, a Reflex. Dan Calisabetti says, Addicted to Love. D. Talon says, Amadeus and Shout. Don Ape says, home sweet home. Um, Don Ape has bad taste in music. <laughs> Chris Sardella, money for nothing. Nick Perez, aha. 
Uh, Mixie Plum also says money for nothing. And, and there's a number of others here. Um, Safety Dance, Herbie Hancock, Madonna, <laughs> Like a Virgin. What I thought was interesting was these folks chimed in with these videos, and they're great songs. So were, were yeah. we just sick of the video? I, I think it was they had so few videos at the time yeah. that they played them a lot. Yes, that's they true. They had that weird thing where there was like, uh, if a song was popular, it was on every like, yeah. I don't know, 15 minutes or something. Right. They, they squeezed it in. Which is kind of like the radio station model, I guess, the radio programmers do, you know? Oh, yeah. There's radio stations I won't listen to now because there's songs that just play every 15 minutes because their 15 minutes of fame aren't up yet. Yeah. Although I thought it was interesting that I found, I read in the, the book, The 1980s by Bob Batchelor and, and Scott Stoddard, that according to, well, they, they quote a uh, 1983 Newsweek article that says that MTV played 80% new music and 20% old. And some of our f- friends on Facebook also chimed in that their earliest memories of MTV or their fondest memories were that MTV exposed them to so many songs and genres they wouldn't have heard on the radio or otherwise know about. Oh, yeah, and fashion. And fashion, You could sure. sit there and mm-hmm. just wait for your favorite band to come on and go like, all right, I got, I got to get the Union Jack shirt. <laughs> yes. All right, I got to have that. Apparently, I need boots and a knife yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> and long hair. All right, I got this. Yes. This is easy. Mm-hmm. So uh, when they started doing shows. Yeah. Did you watch Yo MTV Raps? 100%. Yeah, I love that show. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember, it came on like at four? Yeah. Something like that on the East Coast? Yeah, we got home from school. Yeah. Just in time to, Gotta have that to watch available. that. Yeah, and you're right, because so there was a shift in around 1985. So Warner, Warner MX is the company that owned MTV when it started. In 85, Warner sells it to Viacom. Now, Warner, you know, Warner also has music labels, so it's no surprise, I think, that when it starts, they're starting a video version of a radio station. Yeah. Viacom, which is a, you know, uh, I guess television cable, you know, giant, when they buy it, suddenly there's this shift in 85, you're right. They move from um, being uh, focusing on music videos to focusing on what they describe as broader youth pop culture. Right. They turn it into, okay, for this hour, we want to talk to the rap audience. For this hour, we want to talk to the metal guys. For this hour, we want the alternative crowd. So yep. they gave you a, a time slot when you needed to be there, Yeah, which made it way easier to see the videos you wanted. Right. And so, and yeah, in this period of time, we're still seeing music videos at least. So when you had, you know, 120 Minutes or mm-hmm. uh, Headbangers Ball, right. uh, in addition to UMTV Raps, you're right. You're still seeing videos. Mo- you know, you got interviews and stuff too in there, but... And you're getting some of the coolest hosts they ever had. Right. Ed Lover, who sure. to this day, I will still swear by the, the Ed Lover dance. Love that thing. <laughs> yeah, the 45 King. Um, yeah, and the original Dr. Dre. I'll say, right? He's, yeah. He was my Dr. Dre yeah. <laughs> before the, of course. What a, what a horrible coincidence for him. <laughs> but yeah, and that's, that sort of window, I guess, I suppose, was still before it really flipped over towards just now we've got television programming and, yeah. and, and videos are now in the minority. Yeah. You know? Do you remember Al TV? Oh, yeah. When Weird I, Al I, would take I over. I love that. Was that in that connection awesome. with promoting UHF coming out? I don't think so. I think they just said, Weird Al is one of the coolest guys we've ever met. Yeah. Let's just give him his own show. And we could do a whole episode. Oh, we're going to do an episode. We are going to do a Weird Al. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I love that show. Yeah, Headbangers Ball, uh, interesting story. Uh, My mom worked nights. Yeah. So everybody would hang out at our house and watch this. And we had something called the Mosh Couch. (laughs) I already know I don't want to be on the Mosh Couch. No. So if a great song came out, everybody would be on the three-person couch. There could be six people. There could be four people. But (laughs) you're slam dancing on our mother's Mm -hmm. couch in the living room 
during Headbangers Ball, which, <laughs> looking back, stupid fun, yeah. but hilarious nonetheless. And happened only because your mom was at work. Yeah. I was like, you're ruining the couch. <laughs> she probably could never figure out why the springs were shot on the couch, but that's what it was, Mom. Yeah. It was the Headbangers Ball's fault. So MTV was not without its controversy, of course. You know, early on, they had some videos on there that were uh, viewed as problematic and banned. They had some organizations that uh, created some standards that would get some videos banned before they even aired and some that were thrown off soon after. It took a long time for black artists to break into MTV. Yeah. Um, Michael Jackson, he was the first one. But uh, it's funny because Rick James, Super yep. Freak video, the, the woman who said no to that video was a black woman. And she said, I don't want us stereotyped is what he has in his video. Mm-hmm. So he was all irate about it, but finally everything sorted itself out, and Michael Jackson made some actual good videos. And, yeah. And then, and, it, um, and, and the then it exploded. I was to say, yeah. If not for the rhythm, the R&B artists. And the, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it would have been, who knows what life it would have been, actually, because it really yeah, it took off after that. Yeah, it was coming anyways, but that was a bad decision on MTV's, MTV's part in the beginning anyways. Yeah. But they said they were they were originally a rock and roll yeah. music video channel. So really, that's true. You're right. The first words, like you just said, this is rock and roll. So in their stupid old white minds, they didn't understand that it was the same music. So yeah, it's kind of like the rock hall. Thing, yeah, you know, a lot of people get upset about that, but you know, it's, it's not music. Like, yeah. It's not like uh, NWA or Grandmaster Flash doesn't belong in the hall. Yeah, they they yeah. did just as much as everybody else. Right. Yeah, so there were a few videos that were banned and some that were controversial, you know, like Like a Prayer later in the 80s. Oh, she's got a great VMAs moment, too. Oh, yeah, right. Rolling around in the wedding dress. Yeah, we talked about that on our, what, controversial live TV. Yeah, she claimed she fell down. I believe it. Why would she lie about that? It'd be a cooler move to say she planned that whole thing. Hmm. And she's cool. If anything, she's cool. She's trendsetting and cool. Yeah, I I think she would have been better off to just say she did it on purpose. Yeah. I agree, but telling the truth, she, so we're talking about uh, dancing to Like a Virgin or performing. I guess it wasn't really dancing because she was writhing around on the floor, but on our TV episode, we talk about how it was an accident and led to her doing that. Yeah, that's true. So that's the first VMAs. Um, but Like a Prayer was a problematic video later in the 80s. Uh, Girls on Film was an early one. That was one of the earliest videos that were made. And Duran Duran, I thought was interesting that um, some folks talked that... Um, but for, and I think this is also out of the 1980s book by Bob Batchelor and his uh, co-author Scott Stoddard, that um, but for, they quote some sources saying that but for music videos, Duran Duran probably would not be the you know worldwide uh, phenomenon that they became. Their music is excellent, yeah. but their videos are excellent. Yeah, I still think they'd have been big because they had great songs, yeah. but their videos push it to a different level. And that's what MTV was great at in the early days, was pushing artists to a whole nother level. Yeah. And they changed the game. You no longer could be some ugly dude with a mullet. <laughs> you had to dress right, look right, mm-hmm. present yourself correctly to become a mega star. now when MTV changed the game. Yeah, true, right. And, and I guess the, the pinnacle of that, either the apex or the nadir, depending on how you look at it, is uh, Millie Vanilli, where folks that yes. uh, yeah. I guess weren't camera ready, uh, they hired some folks to. Well, yes. Duran Duran was camera ready, yeah. so. yeah. Yeah, and they had a lot of interesting videos. So let's talk of, you know, I think this is interesting. Let's talk about breakthrough videos, right? I've got mm-hmm. five that I've identified, and maybe you have some others, but um, and there's some honorable mentions. But just for, the, you know, the imagery, what they did, et cetera, um, I guess in no particular order, but uh, Land of Confusion. 
Yeah, that was the one when you just said that. That was yeah. the first one I thought of. Yeah. Yeah. So they used the spitting image. It was the group of puppets that were used. It's from a, I think it's yeah. a BBC TV show. It was that had that. We had a similar show in the United States called DC Follies, which was basically a knockoff of this BBC show. But these puppets were, I don't know, they were creepy, right? I mean, Most puppets are creepy, <laughs> except for Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Here's a list of puppets. Uh, uh, there's a long list of all yeah. puppets, creepy, one on a separate list. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... Since video is a visual image, a visual medium, boom, that sticks with you. Yep. Here's another one. Money for nothing, again. Yeah, that's the one they played every 10 minutes because it said, yes. you know, I want my MTV, right. which was their catchphrase at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they basically said, hey, yeah, I don't know, you know, that might be the, the greatest thing Dire Straits ever came up with was, you know, there's this great music channel. Yeah. If we just sing about the music channel, They'll play our video every five minutes. Oh, boy. See, this is where you're better than I am. There's a story behind this, and I just don't remember it. But it's something like the melody already was, I want my MTV. Yeah. But they sang different words. And I think yeah. they were getting in trouble for it. So the compromise was, let's just sing it. You know, <laughs> It wasn't as uh, forward-thinking as you're thinking, as, so much as getting themselves out of a jam. Yeah, they, I, I, from what I've heard, the story is, is that he actually heard some guys talking. Uh-huh. Uh, during their day job, well, he was standing around doing whatever rock stars. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. And they were talking about the, the same things in the, that they talk about right. in the video. Look at this crap, yeah. you know, this, this guy with the earring and the makeup. And, right, got it easy. Yeah, they got it easy. So he just turned it into a song. Yeah. And he took everything that was, you know, easy. And, of course, the video itself is groundbreaking for its use of computer-generated effects. I mean... Yeah, you couldn't tell that from real people. <laughs> <laughs> Back, kids, back then, we thought those were real people. It was a long way before Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, that's funny. Yeah, it's funny to watch it now, I suppose, with kids who would probably like, this is Minecraft that's is exact, better than this. That's exactly what it looked like. But it's definitely a Minecraft kind of thing. Yeah. It looked like Minecraft without the building. Yeah. Uh, Straight Outta Compton was another breakthrough video because it showed oh, a yeah. side of culture in the, you know, the world, this uh, area in uh, California, Los Angeles area that folks wouldn't have otherwise known. And NWA's music exposed people to stories and a culture that we wouldn't have known throughout the, throughout the country and world. But then the video, you know, they shoot it right there in their neighborhoods. Yeah, Straight Outta Compton is a great album, great video. Uh, everything about that album is awesome. Everything about NWA is awesome. Yeah. Just amazing. Is that what the A stands for? Awesome. Well, Let's not... It's, it's not what the N stands for. Okay. <laughs> not awesome. No. Take On Me. Oh, my goodness. That's another one that's groundbreaking. I just watched it earlier today to show my daughter, my youngest daughter. I got goosebumps watching that video. Yeah. It's just so romantic to me, the mm-hmm. story. And at the end, when he's banging against the hallway in her house trying to break out of the animated world, and to, oh, just get goosebumps. Yeah, you like that one a lot, Yeah, huh? I do. That, that ranks up to me with You Might Think. And You Might Think, as we mentioned, is one of my favorite videos. Mm-hmm. has a mix of animation and you know real life, uh, live action. But again, it's just very romantic. I don't know. Yeah, nice. It probably also has to do with the era. Like I was probably 13, 14, and you're starting to hit puberty and be interested in girls. And, and you felt like a cartoon character I trying did. to break through the wall. Oh, my gosh. How much do I owe you for this? <laughs> yes, for my session. And, of course, we, I guess we can't mention any videos, although we've been talking for a long time. That's okay. We'll just say— It's the, our podcast. We the, can do what we want. <laughs> the most—well, I say the most groundbreaking video, but you mentioned already Michael Jackson's appearance on MTV— it was a huge for, you know, the popularity of the video, uh, a medium rather, rather, but also 
his videos in particular started just one-upping what could be done in a video. Most iconically, I suppose, is, is that a word? The biggest one being Thriller. Yeah, Thriller is probably the number one video of all time just because whether you liked Michael Jackson or not, yeah. you tuned in when they said, we're premiering Thriller yeah. tonight at whatever time it was. Yeah. There wasn't a person on the planet that didn't want to see that video because his videos were always groundbreaking. Yeah. And they said, this one's groundbreaking the ground yeah. that we broke the other ones on. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. There's no more ground left. <laughs> there, there will be nowhere to go after this. <laughs> Although, he, you know, Michael Jackson, they continue to sort of up the ante with his other videos. No, nothing's probably as great as that one, but... Well, I would say this about Thriller. Yeah. If it came out today, it would break the internet. Yeah. That's what it would do. Yeah. It would literally... We would have like that uh, apocalyptic thing where all the electronics just shut down. Uh-huh. The singularity just, and then yeah. artificial intelligence would take over. Yeah, which uh, we learned from our other guest. Um, I like machines, and when yes. they take over, <laughs> I want them to know that I'll help them. Yes, I am your friend. Yes, and Thriller, you know, hey, we learned from talking about other guests. Eric Linden, stuntman, would not have been a stuntman, but for, it seems like, having his dad uh, recording Thriller and the making of Thriller and showing it to him as a young kid. Yeah, and chucking him down the stairs onto the blankets. Yeah, that helps too. Yeah. So, okay. So, anything more about MTV? Nope. Okay. So, uh, hey, before we move on, there's a number of folks who chimed in with their favorite videos or memories from MTV. We didn't get to everybody's thoughts, but uh, we should certainly thank them anyway. That sounds like a great idea. Would you do the honors? Sure. So, I'm just going to start rifling off names. So, here we go. Yeah. Jeff Henson, Dan Calasabetti. Yes. All right. Don Ape. Yeah. Oh, some of these guys we mentioned. Chris before, Sardella. Let's be thorough. Nick Perez, Mixie Plum, Jay Rizzoli, mm-hmm. Dan Kneebone, Jason Yakachuk. <laughs> sure. Tom Sabo. Yeah. I was wondering if that's Tom or Tommy, but either way, if people He'll on Facebook or so, yeah. he or she will get it. Robert Lemuel, hmm. I guess. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Lim- Libby, uh, yeah, it's probably not pronounced Jim and that's probably. Nope. Probably Jimenez. Or Jimenez, but yeah. Jimenez, one of those three. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like one of our trivia questions, yeah. A, B, or C. Yeah. Chad Steiner, Richard French, Eric Rico Amon, hmm. Eric Bazinski. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that too, yeah. Laura Mooney Graham, Dina Floyd Angusson, yeah, I think it's Deanna, but... Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. Yeah, that Floyd and Gesser. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Tim Cook, Anthony Mitchell, Mike Wilson, William Crow, Mary or Marie, one of the two, Marie, yep. Reich, Susie Roy's, Nate Wood, Kazuko Sumi, and Belvin Sweet. Cool. Hey, thanks everybody for pausing and chiming in with your favorite moments for MTV. So in a moment, we'll be right back with the in- our interview. This is very exciting. So this is like a world premiere video. <laughs> but in a moment, we'll be right back with our interview with Ms. Nina Blackwood. It's likely that our guest today taught you more about music in the 1980s than anyone else. In 1981, she was one of the Fab Five, the original slate of VJs to host the fledgling music television channel. 
While there, in addition to doling out various tidbits of valuable music trivia, she interviewed the legendary pop and rock stars of the day, including Brian Adams, John Mellencamp, and Frank Zappa. And her work as ambassador for good music continued after she left the famed channel. In 1986, she hosted the Rock Report for Entertainment Tonight. And that same year, she began co-hosting Solid Gold, another beloved TV show that provided a steady source of pop music. Today, you can hear her continue to inform and entertain us about our favorite songs and artists on Sirius XM, where she, along with the other original VJs, appears as host on 80s on 8. Please welcome to the show, Nina Blackwood. Hello, how you doing? I am great, and even better now to be able to talk to you. Uh, um, so our show is, uh, just so you know, it's an objective, and I mean objective in a sincere sense, an objective uh, defense, I say, of, of 80s pop culture. Because uh-huh. it, even though I consider myself a child of the 80s, I think that it could be argued that apart from nostalgia, it still was a very important uh, and a very... Uh, uh, it was a renaissance of sorts. It seemed, you know, it was just a perfect mix of politics and economy, which, you know, weren't great for everybody, but birthed uh, a lot of, uh, you know, great films and music and art. So, but I can't also separate the fact that, you know, I was 10 when the decade started and, you know, 18 or 19 when it ended. So I think of myself as an 80s kid. You, you, you are. are. Yes. <laughs> and you are so, you know, associated with that decade. But do you consider yourself of that era or... or um Harken back to a, a different uh, time. Um, well, you know, yes, I'm part of the era, obviously, because of MTV. I mean, sure. part and parcel of of the '80s was was MTV. So one part of me is, but of course, uh, you know, I'm older than you. I was an adult when you were ten. Sure. So, you know, obviously, things came prior to that. Yeah, and I, I did. I do note that, um, you know, so, and everybody should check out VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Wave, which is a really, a really neat way to find out so much about that uh, first uh, generation of VJs, such as yourself, of course, and one of the things, just as an, a sort of an aside, it's amazing to me with what, uh, I guess, clarity you and the others remembered so many of the same events that you were, you know, the way that unfolds, able to bounce off each other, sort of the details of very specific things that happened in those you know, early years. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny because, um, uh, you know, we we did, you know, we were, and we still are like a family, so we were experiencing, you know, pretty much the same things. But it's funny how uh, each person would have a different experience of that occasion. Um, and then there were some things that, uh, even though we were very close, that we found out about each other that we didn't know at the time, you know, that was going <laughs> right. on. So it was kind of funny. But, um, you know, you know when especially when we're all uh, together, we'll fill in the blanks. Like somebody will go, you remember this? <laughs> you know, and they go, yeah, well, yeah, but what happened? And the other person will, you know, Martha will, you know, chime in and, you know, then I'll say something. There was something that happened just recently. Somebody put up, oh, I, I, I think it was, uh, uh, you know, a video, or no, it was a photo of the five of us. Mm-hmm. And for the life of the four, obviously, because <laughs> JJ is not with us, yes. none of us 
ever remember taking that. We don't know where it was. None of us, which is really, you know, kind of a rarity. But we looked at this and we're going, do you remember this? No, I don't remember. Do you remember? No, I don't remember. The, where the heck did that come from? It's very funny. And so, you know, occasionally something like that does crop up. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it's, based on the book, I imagine it's rare, as you say. So, yeah. And in that book, I learned, you know, an early love of you, yours, music-wise, was the Beatles. Uh, you, yeah. You, men- you mentioned how uh, an early birth boyfriend gave you your first Doors album. Um, so very different uh, types of music, I'd say, you know, somewhat different than what ultimately we associate the 80s with. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I was alluding to when you asked if I, you right. know, relate to the 80s. It's kind of like two different... Um, musical eras for me because I grew up in Cleveland with, and this is before you were born, but uh, with WMMS, which was the top uh, radio station in the country, Uh, album-oriented, which you know, the the uh, jocks could pick what they played and Cleveland was really a breakout city for a lot of artists. Uh, Bowie, for one, uh, because of MMS. So I, I really, I would say my, most of my taste in music is more of a classic rock. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but having said that, uh, bands like U2 or artists like Springsteen, uh, John Mellencamp, right. uh, Tom Petty, who came out in the 80s, or, you know, had their heyday, you could say, in the 80s, you know, right. I love them. So, but but they too, they're rock. I'm more of a rock person than a pop person. Saying that you're, you know, you're a self-admitted rock person, I liked how in the in the book, you know, you there's certain moments that stories are being told where you will uh, make a comment or an observation about someone or some moment and say that wasn't rock and roll or that is was rock and roll, you know, was very rock and roll. But you know, learning your story, um, you know, as a youth here growing up here in, in, in Cleveland, you know, uh, good student, uh, member of student council, you know, a harpist, you know, of all things, right. these things seem antithetical to rock and roll. Was there a, a moment in your life where you realized or had this a sort of switch go off where, you know, you had this, you, you attuned to that rock and roll vibe? Definitely. Um, you know, and even as a harpist, I was playing with, uh, you know, I studied classically. I, I started uh, uh, music, uh, playing piano when I was like four. So I studied oh. classically. And then when I was in, <clears throat> of course, the Beatles game, which influenced everybody. But then uh, when I was in high school, um, you know, it was student council, like you said, cheerleader, uh, also member of the right. orchestra with my harp. Uh, but I, I was starting um, to, you know, be pulled much more in a rock direction. Like, I would go, in fact, with that guy that gave me a Duffy, his name was, who was a musician, um, uh, used to go down to a club that you would not know about again, it's before your time, but that was in Cleveland called the Cove, which was really, and it was an underground uh, place, and Velvet Underground would play there, groups like oh. that. 
And, of course, it would be on the weekend uh, when I was supposed to be cheerleading. And, you know, <laughs> and I finally, it kind of dawned on me. I go, you know, I don't even like football. <laughs> you know, I like, you know, uh, I, I don't even like football. I would rather be seeing these bands. And uh, I quit cheerleading. And that was kind of, and I was dragging this guy, uh, you know, the musician. Uh, he was a keyboardist. And I would drag him into the orchestra so he would learn, you know, and he would sit there uh, and audit the orchestra so he would learn uh, reading music. And, uh, you know, consequently, I was um, starting to play harp in a uh, um, more of an avant-garde fashion, um, more of an improvisational, which uh, would be a rock attack um, I, I would just go by guitar chords and then just play as opposed to, you know, your classical symphonies that you'd be reading or pieces. Um, so it started, I guess, I guess it was a sophomore when it really hmm. took hold. Again, there's so many great things I learned in the, in the VJ book, but how you, you were very sort of almost, you know, you were avant-garde or punk rock, you know, playing your harp, you know, developing new t- techniques to be able to yeah. travel and, and play it. Uh, you described the one technique using, was it a butter knife to... Uh, yeah. Um, uh, that's that's very rock and roll, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I did. I like I said, I that was where the direction um, I was going musically. Yeah. I was not going to be, um, you know, in an orchestra other than the high school orchestra, which there was there weren't that many parts for harp, so they'd send me up to play marimba, you know, up to the percussion, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And there's a lot of harpists now, with the exception of you know, there are pieces specifically with a lot of harp. But you're doing a lot of counting the measures, you know, before you get like a few chords, you know. So, yeah. Um, so it was never my intention to uh, be a classical musician. Right. You know, a- a- after a certain point, I should say, sure. when, when, as you said, when uh, the the switch kind of flipped. Right. You know, I know my parents wanted me to go to um, uh, the Music Institute, Cleveland Music Institute, which was really high. And I was going, you know, no, I I don't think so. You know, I I, I just, um, you know, it was really a rock and roll. I mean, and I still feel that way. I mean, it just was part of my, I think when you get that, uh, that feeling when it bites you, that's, mm. um, you know, you're, you're, or you bite it, uh, you're kind of hooked, right. which I was. And, you know, and you talk about sort of, um, your parents wanted you to study music. It's interesting to me when you look at, when I read about the different sort of, you know, very abridged history of your career and your path to ultimately be on MTV, um, there's few people I've known in my life that seemed uh, destined to do their job. You know, most folks have the... Uh, it's unfortunate you wind up doing a job that, you, you know, you pay the mortgage or et cetera and so on. Uh-huh. But it's interesting that you're, the different steps you took, you know, from harpist to traveling around, playing the band, to heading out to L.A. and, you know, recording punk rockers on the street, and studying acting, was leading you to a career that didn't exist yet, you know, was you yet know, to be created. Thank you. You know, of all the interviews... That I've done over the years, you know, or or that I've been the interviewee, not the interviewer. You are the first person that stated that succinctly, and that is 
absolutely right on the money. So thank you for <laughs> for getting welcome. that because yeah. that's exactly. I mean, nobody has ever stated that except myself. You know, <laughs> and you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And it's kind of funny because. You know, there wasn't, and and I have said that, that, you know, I probably would have uh, wanted to do that job if it had existed when I was growing up, but it didn't, you know, (laughs) and you're absolutely right. Absolutely. I can't even say it better than you did. Did you, so not, you know, and so you certainly you're moving in that direction, but um, yeah. you know, being being a young person and, you know, having parents and, you know, folks that are expecting some sort of responsibility or accountability in your life, did, was there a backup plan? Not really, no. Yeah. Um, my parents uh, were, especially my mom, uh, was very, from day one, always... Uh, supportive of me as a, you know, quote unquote performer, whether it be um, a musician or, you know, I was acting since I was a little girl. Um, She, uh, you know, she was very, very supportive of, you know, she would always say, uh, use what God gave you. You know, she really felt that I had you know, specific talents. So she never, and my dad didn't discourage it, but my dad uh, was more practical and, you know, he he would be concerned, but neither one of them ever said, um, you know, you should uh, be a receptionist or you should do this. Um, you know, of course, I'm sure that they, like I said, you know, they, 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 they wanted me to go to school, but they, I don't remember them being at least, um, outwardly to me, maybe behind the scenes, um, you know, uh, visibly upset, like your life's going to be ruined. You know, what are you doing? You know, musicians, blah, blah, blah. I never got one of those, you know, uh, lectures. It was always, um, you know, very supportive. In fact, I was an only child, but, you know, I wasn't a spoiled brat. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it, I just wasn't, and I, I'm still not, you know, I, I just am not like that. Um, and I remember when I moved out to LA and I got my gigs playing harp, uh, which was like my my uh, what I call my day gig, although it was at night. <laughs> you know, that was yes. my what what made my money. <laughs> you know, while I was uh, you know starting different things, and I wanted to go to uh, Strasbourg Institute to study um, acting, the method. Right. You know, and and you know things were were tied. You know, because you don't make a whole lot of money as a musician right off the bat. And I remember my my manager was saying, you know, why don't you ask your father? You know, maybe he'll help you with tuition. And they had been planning on sending me to college. And I go, I can't ask him. I can't ask him. I can't ask him. And he goes, you should do that, you know. And he had all the reasons why. So, you know, I took a deep breath and I called up my dad, who was just, the sweetest man in the world, just such a wonderful man. And I could not for the life of me ask. 
I'm beating around the bush, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'd really, you know, I'm stuttering. And my dad, who, when he was quite younger, was um, a drummer in a, um, uh, like a jazz band, a big band, jazz band. And he used this term, I'll never forget. He figured out what I was asking for, and he goes, you know, are you saying you need some scratch? <laughs> and that's not how my dad spoke. I mean, he just used this this old jazz term, and I'm going to, yeah. And so uh, they paid for my tuition. Wow. You know, so, uh, you know, but boy, I had the hardest. Oh, God, I, you know, I was very independent and, you know, just it's so hard to ask for something like that. And he was so cute. You need some scratch. <laughs> yeah, Dad, I need some scratch. <laughs> you know, so again, that, um, you know, there you go, right there. It wasn't like, yeah. well, I told you, you know, you know, look, you know, none of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You know, I told you you couldn't make it, blah, 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 you know, never anything like that. So, yeah. so they were, um, you know, they, they, they were just great. You know, they were Wonderful. great about it. Ultimately, of course, everybody knows, you know, y- you become a VJ. Again, it, it was a job that didn't exist, but uh, very quickly, you know, the world, uh, MTV expands slowly. Um, but I say slowly, but, you know, it sort of exploded in a sense um, onto the scene. And it has an impact on culture in a way that, uh, again, 80s for me, there's so many things that happened then that was, again, sort of a renaissance, like I said earlier, I think. And MTV, you know, played a large part in that, affecting how uh, businesses spoke to the youth culture, you know, uh, how uh, movies were made, how, uh, you know, how music, the music industry was changed. Um, Certainly we, as viewers, you know, in little parts, maybe we didn't, couldn't, uh, maybe intellectually we didn't understand it until later we're able to look back, but you know, we were experiencing things in a way that, uh, you know, uh, MTV, these ripple effect was happening. Because you were so close to it, um, were you able to appreciate um, the effect it was having outside of the studio? You know, when we first launched, uh, we were based out of New York, but, right. uh, you know, cable was also in its infancy. So New York City didn't even have cable yet. That's crazy. So, you know, we didn't know right off the impact uh, that we were having. But then, you know, each of us have our individual stories of when we figured out. Uh, But we would be sent out on the road as little emissaries uh, to do these public appearances in, like, record stores, uh, music stores and whatever. And um, I was sent to San Antonio at this mall and uh, for a record store. And I remember the cars driving up and all these people were uh, like wrapped around the mall, you know, huge (laughs) line. And I said to um, the driver, I said, well, who's here today? And he goes, you. And, and I went, what? I said, drive around the bed. It was like, you know, and it was just like, oh my God. Um, you know, so that was the first. And then when we hit New York, um, had some funny stories. Uh, like, uh, I love New Yorkers and I love I love New York. Exactly when I was there in the 80s, I thought it was a really good time to be there because it wasn't yet as commercialized as uh, it is now. And it was still kind of funky. You know, it was right on the cusp. You know, it was, 
It had been bankrupt in the 70s and was just starting. But, you know, the subways were still filthy. Oh. You know, so you had the best <laughs> of both worlds. But I remember, you know, I'd be walking down like 6th Avenue and the firemen drove by. They're going, yo, Nina, you know, out of wow. the, the, the hook and ladder, you know, ah, you know, and then. <laughs> One time, again on 6th Avenue, uh, because our offices were on 6th Avenue, so spent a lot of time walking up and down that that right. uh, road, uh, that street, and um, uh, I was flagging a cab, trying to flag a cab. I had a doctor's appointment, uh, the Upper West Side, and I can't get a cab, and I'm standing out there, you know, and these cops pull over, and I go, oh, no, what did they think about <laughs> You know, a hooker, <laughs> you know, because I mean, like, you know, I mean, I was dressed fine. I wasn't dressed like a hooker, but, you know, well, why else are they pulling me, you know, pulling right. over? And they go, hey, Nina, you need a ride? Where are you going? <laughs> and I go, well, uptown, you know, and uh, they go, hop in. And I was in the back of the squad car, and I'm like sinking down because I thought, oh, I hope nobody sees me. And I'll think, you know, <laughs> right. I've gotten arrested. And they gave me a ride to my doctor's appointment, which was like, which was so awesome. You know, it was just funny. <laughs> so, you know, those are a couple of things that like, wow, I guess, you know, people, you know, when the firemen are yelling your name and the cops are giving you a ride, yeah. that must be happening. <laughs> you know, <laughs> If you can make it there, as they say, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Did, did you do you, to this day? Do you spot things in uh, films, commercials, etc.? Tons of, as you know, I've, I'm not telling you, for our listeners. So many ultimate film directors came out of from directing, you know, videos. Yeah. Uh, in the early days of MTV, and so we, we see, you know, you can see a certain style developed uh, as a result of that. Um, do you still spot things and think, hmm, you know, what, we we did that first, or I can see the, you know, sort of like, a, you know, lightning in the sky sort of connecting, you know, from one point to another, leading back to MTV? Um, well, I think, it, you know, it's evolved so much with technical, uh, you know, t- with uh, technology, I should say, not technical, uh, technology, that right. um, it's so way beyond... Uh, you know, what was going on in the 80s. I mean, it's just like mind-blowing what can be done um, with technology these days. So not so much um, now, but I would say like, uh, you know, in the 90s, obviously. But but these days, it's just, I mean, far and above uh, anything that was going on. Yeah. Well, you know, back in the, in the golden era of video, <laughs> video music. Um, so on our show, we usually, you know, most of our uh, episodes, we try to determine whether or not the 1980s was the best for something. And, and quite honestly, it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, and, you know, it's <laughs> it, it gives us something to, you know, to sort of uh, orbit around when we our discussion, you know, anchor our discussions. But... Um, we can ultimately, my co-host, who I leave, I leave him with the duty of concluding whether or not we accomplished what we set out to do, and we we always have so far. But um, do you think the 1980s was the best decade for MTV? Oh yeah, hands yes. down, hands <laughs> down. I mean, uh, absolutely, absolutely. You don't get two tries at being first with something. <laughs> Um, you know, absolutely. And, and again, um, I, 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 I doubt, you know, as it went along, 
as it you know as it started uh, branching out, so to speak, with some of these other reality shows. If I would have been that excited to, I, I don't know that. Maybe I would have. Depends what I my career, what path it would have taken. Let's say if I wasn't hired as as you know the first batch. Um, you know, I think I think I would have still enjoyed it part of the eighties and into the early nineties. But once it started getting into that reality TV stuff, um, you know. No, <laughs> not, not yeah. so much. But yeah, and I, I don't think it's one of those that you really can't argue with because that was the pinnacle of the creativity was happening. Right. And, um, you know, when I think of the 80s, I think of I think of that decade as color, very right. colorful, yes. you know, colorful and and. <clears throat> You know, sure, there was a lot of, you know, not so great music, uh, but there was a lot of really great stuff in the videos. It was a very, um, as far as entertainment goes, a very positive decade, Um, you know, because then you got into the 90s, which I love that music. I love, uh, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, love Soundgarden, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, but it started getting... Darker, you know, yes. um, a, 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 a bit darker with things. So, I, I do think that's one of the reasons that the '80s. I'm knocking on wood. Um, <laughs> has had, uh, the longevity that it has, because it would be, people, you were happy, you know, for the yeah. most part. Yeah, there were things going on with Reagan and blah blah blah, all that other stuff, you know, sure. junk bonds and. You know, but it was overall a really fun, colorful time. And there was music for everybody. You know, it wasn't just rap. It wasn't just, you know, dark. It wasn't just, you know, the, you know, I'm going to say pop crapola. You know, there was, you know, you know what I'm talking about when I say that, you know, not even doesn't even have a melody. It's just all this mish, <laughs> mishmash put together, you know, no structure whatsoever. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I, I feel still to this day, and I can speak for my my VJ family, you know, we just feel really fortunate that we were part of it because it was a once, you know, once in a lifetime experience, and it was a great uh, era. And and we are grateful to have had you as a part of it. Uh, so uh, at ten years yeah. old. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I will say uh, thank you for your time, Nina. Thank you. All right. So big episode for us. Mm-hmm. We didn't even get to all of it. There's so many ways MTV affected future generations and the current generation as far as how it spoke to youth culture and advertised to youth cultures. Mm-hmm. The directors, film directors came out of MTV. Yeah, there's, videos. there's a lot. I mean, this could have been a five-hour episode. Yeah. And who's got, who's got time for that? Yeah, either to record it or listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I imagine we may have proven or... Di- well, you know what? We heard Nina prove something for us in the interview, yeah. at least according yeah. to her as far as, you know... But look, no one's going to. You are ultimately our judge and Mm -hmm. analyst as to whether we've determined something or not with regard to the 1980s. And in this instance, I suppose MTV. All right, you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) We have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Wow. Okay. 
that there will never be mm-hmm. another music channel as groundbreaking as MTV. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, well, even when they don't play music, you know, because the new generation doesn't like that stuff, they still they still kill it. So. Yep. All right, sure. Not as good as they did in the 80s, though. Exactly. All right, that's what I was waiting for. Okay. And with that, we will talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. Thank you.